Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I am your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest is an all-American and world-ranked triathlete, a burn survivor, and sought-out motivational speaker. At the age of eight, he was told that he will never compete in sport again. But since then, he's completed six Ironman. He's been four times member of Team USA. He's ranked in the top 1% of Ironman worldwide and has completed nine triathlon world championships, including Ironman World Championship in Kona. His story has been featured on NBC Ironman World Championship broadcast, USA Triathlon Magazine, and Ironman, and much, much more. Please welcome Shay Eskew. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys today. It's uh, wonderful to have you. I was just getting inspired, even reading through your bio, so I feel like we're going to have some magic today. Um, so, Shay, as you know, this podcast is about endurance and endurance leadership, and my favorite question to ask my guest is, tell me how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly. I think the biggest impact is just that you know we're never guaranteed tomorrow. And so everything in life comes down to time management. We're all given the same 24 hours, yet some people figure out how to get everything done. And some people always have the excuse, I'm too busy. And so for me, Ironman and the endurance sports that I've done has taught me how to manage my time. I've got five kids under 17, work a full-time job, speaking, um, stay pretty busy to say the least. Um, but we have time to do everything. It's just you have to prioritize what really matters, be able to say no to everything else that doesn't. And I think that's a big thing, right? There are so many things and people that will steal your time if you let them. And so you just got to be selfish, focus on what's important, what contributes to your goals, and making sure that everything you're doing every single day is contributing to the legacy that you want to leave behind. It's so That's so well said. Um, and I'd love to dig in a little bit deeper of when did, when did that realization come to you around time management, saying no to others, being selfish to achieve your goals? Ironically, it happened in 2009. Um, I had lost previously before that a mentor of mine who was one of the original 13 Ironman finishers. And right before he passed, we lost Henry Forrest to pancreatic cancer. And right before we lost him, we all committed to doing the next big triathlon. We said, look, we don't care the distance. Whatever is coming up that's big, we're in. Little did we know it was a half Ironman. So that was going to be my first triathlon. Didn't own a bike, had never swam, hadn't ran since college. Uh, bought a $500 bike off Craigslist. I had two small kids at home, you know, two under the age of three. And I was like, what did I just commit to? I was like, I made a commitment to this man. I've got to fulfill it. And so what I started doing was asking people I knew that were in the sport, hey, how do you get it done? And that's when people started showing me, look, you got to compartmentalize. Like You got to lay out the day in advance. What's your workout? What time are you getting up? Come up with a routine. And as part of that, mapping out what does the next day look like? You know, I'm very regimented. You get up at 4 a.m., I'm making a cup of coffee with an extra shot. I'm having two frozen blueberry waffles. I'm reading for 30 minutes. I'm sending emails for 15 minutes. The next 15 minutes, it's focused on the workout. 
that I already written on my whiteboard the night before my pain came, right? And so you just learn that, look, you don't have any wasted minutes. And then you started looking at your day and you said, what am I doing every single day that isn't contributing to my goals? I think one of the first things that we all do when you actually take the time to write down what you do every single day, it's TV, right? Mm -hmm. Like how many of us use TV as a way to unwind because we had a very stressful day? What if you started reclaiming that time to spend time with your kids, spend time to read, do something that will actually contribute to a growth mindset? Um, so that's when it set in was 2009 when I committed to it. And once you started going down this path, you're like, oh, my gosh, what else can I do in life? Like, what are the things if I ruled out that were impossible because I couldn't fathom? Where do I have the time to do this? You know, it's interesting you brought that up. I've got my 168 hour journal here and I prepare one the week before. And then I actually write down exactly what I've done sort of half hour to half hour. And you're 100% right. Where my time gets wasted is at 8 o'clock at night when you're sitting on the couch enjoying a glass of wine and all of a sudden it's 10.30 and now you're groggy the next morning. And you just, the days that I choose to go to bed at a reasonable time, the, the next days are always 10 times better. 100%, right? You got to be selfish. And it's also, you know, one of the things I learned early on when you go down this path is share with your significant other. Hey, look, here's what I'm committed to doing. What about this scares you? You know, so I showed my wife the 30 week Ironman plan I committed to. And I said, what do you need in return for this? Because let's be honest, it can be a very selfish sport, right? Because mm -hmm. it's us doing the training, but it can also have an impact on the family just because some of the time commitments. And she said, look, I want two days breakfast in bed. I was like, bam, done, right? So for 13 years, two days, breakfast in bed. And when you get home from work, I need you. The kids need you. You can't check out and go exercise. So whatever you get done needs to happen before you go to work every day. And that's what we've done, right? It works great. And I think that's what's important is figuring out what matters to you, what matters to your significant other, your family members, because there are, there are some give and takes. And the last thing you want to do, I mean, there's a term in Ironman, it's called the Iron Widow, because so many people get so focused on their training, they forget, look, I still need to be a dad. I still need to be a husband. I still need to be a businessman, right? And you can do all of it. And that's what you got to do is have those candid conversations with people. Say, look, here's what I'm wanting to do. How can we do this together? So I have to ask this question. What's her two favorite breakfast menu <laughs> items? <laughs> You know, she's dealing with a very unseasoned chef. So we do Belgium waffles and we do pancakes made from scratch. Well, I use the biscuit mix, but uh, we've got a little recipe that we've been working from. So and that's fantastic. And if it's a and special did... day, I will make a trip to Chick-fil-A. Mm. Uh, so I think everybody likes those chicken minis and some hash browns for breakfast. It's not the healthiest of choices, but if we're celebrating school's out or something, right? So I'll make that trip and get a little late start in the workout. Nice. Um, second side question, sort of related. What do your kids think about dad training and competing in Ironman races or long distance triathlon for that matter? You know, I think the first thing they think is it's normal, right? It's all they've ever seen. Ever since they could walk, 
they saw dad training. When they wake up every single day, dad is downstairs training because that's one of the things I made a commitment uh, nine years ago to do my training indoors. Mm -hmm. All my biking is done on my indoor training. 90% of my running is done on my treadmill. I have a swimming machine that I do in my pain cave down in the basement because I want to be accessible. I didn't want my kids bothering my wife on the weekends that, hey, dad's working out. Can you do this? They stopped me. So I stopped my workout, change a diaper, make breakfast, whatever. I can still be present to the training. I think the second part is they think some of it's crazy, right? Like my daughter saw me do a, a virtual half Ironman in the middle of COVID. Mm -hmm. It was 100 degrees. She's out in the park playing with her friends and she sees me suffering, running half a marathon unassisted in the park behind us. And she's like, Dad, why are you doing this? I was like, it's a virtual Ironman. She goes, again, why are you doing this? There's nobody watching. There's no finish line. I was like, it's for me. Right. I still want to compete, even if nobody's watching. And I think it's just instilling in these healthy habits. Uh, one of the things that we do, I don't know if you've caught wind of this, but we do beats of strength competition. So if my kids want, say, a sonic blast, I say, all right, what are you willing to do for it? And so the standard is usually a five minute wall squat. And so all the kids will all get against the wall. And we'll do a five minute wall squat. Um, if they want to try to upsize it from a mini to a small, well, that's going to cost them a little extra too, right? So we may do a a two or three minute plank. We may do a hundred push up challenge. But we have learned that everything comes with a price. Nothing in life is free. And if you want something, what are you willing to do to earn it? And my thinking was always, if we can instill some kind of exercise as part of it, it's healthy, right? I love it. That's fantastic. Um, do they travel with you when you do these triathlons? They travel most of them. Like I took them when I did the Ironman Worlds in Hawaii. I've mm -hmm. taken them to an Ironman I did in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, we're going to Italy here in a month, and they'll be traveling with us on that. Now, some of these world championship destinations coincide with our anniversary every year. Hmm. Um, so due to trying to preserve my marriage. I leave the kids at home and it's just my wife and I, um, but it's taken us to some amazing destinations that otherwise we might not have visited. And of course, my wife, so it's like, you know, we could take a trip without an Ironman involved in it. And I said, but what fun would that be? I said, love, I feel like by doing the Ironman at the beginning of the vacation, we've earned the right to vacation, right? Like we've paid our dues to sit back and relax for the next week. And so, like, I'm doing a Ironman Worlds in Finland in August. And again, we'll be staying afterwards to do our anniversary right after. You know, if you would ask me that same leading question of what is one of my unexpected benefits uh, from the endurance mindset, it is traveling to places I would never travel with my family, right? So we've been to Challenge Roth. We've been to Switzerland. We've been all over the U.S. And to your point, the kids just think it's normal. In fact, I remember a story... Uh, we used to live downtown Washington, D.C., and we'd walk down to see the Marine Corps Marathon every year because we lived pretty close by. And my oldest, who must have been uh, six at the time, five or six, asked my mom, my wife, she goes, Honey, Mom, um, when did they bike and when did they swim? Because right. it's just in their routine that they think that all endurance exercise was related to swim, bike, run. 
Um, but it's those stories, right? It's those stories, those memories uh, that really make what we do a passion. I think so. And it's one of those, like my kids have seen, it opens up so many opportunities you otherwise wouldn't be afforded. Recently, a Navy SEAL friend of mine reached out. Well, he reached out over a year ago and said, hey, look, in February of 23, we're going to do a skydive, run a marathon, and do a plunge, seven continents, seven days. And it's going to be, I want you to be a pacer, and the rest of the group are all special force operators, right? Navy SEAL, a Delta Force member, Army Ranger. And all this is to raise awareness for veterans' mental health. Mm. And so we did it, right? For seven days, we lived on an airplane. We ran seven marathons, traveled the world. And every day, my kids saw me for that year training for. And everybody's like, why would you do it? It's like, why would you not do it? Like, how many times will you ever be offered an opportunity, one, to spend time with these incredibly badass people that risk their life every day, right? These are the most elite of the elite military. And so you get insight into their mindset. And you get to do something physically demanding with them and live on a plane and do this for seven days straight, right? I mean, it's just these are the kind of things I think the more you put yourself out there, the more these kind of opportunities present themselves. And recently, some friends reached out after that and said, man, your next big challenge, I want to get. And so these were all my fraternity brothers from college. And I said, all right, I turned 50 coming up in March. Let's climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I want to be on top of the mountain on my 50th. And so I've gotten four of them committed. We're going to do it. That's how we're going to celebrate my 50th birthday is on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. That's awesome. And it all, you know, back to a point you made earlier, it all ties back to losing Henry in 2009. Right? 100%. Right? It is crazy, Greg, because I hated running. Like I ran in high school and college to cut weight because I wrestled, I boxed. So the only time I ran was to lose weight. And so I just associated with having to cut weight to make my weight class. But then when I got introduced to running for Ironman, I started doing some research. I was like, look, I'm tired of being miserable. There's got to be a better way to do this. And start, I started reading about form, cadence, heart rate, how to properly train, everything. And I was like, man, it's all science, right? It's all about numbers. And once I figured out my knees no longer hurt, my breathing was great. I could run a marathon, not even be tired. I was like, this is incredible. And so it just opens your mind up to what else can I do if I commit the time to go research how have people before me done it, right? Nothing's impossible. And that was one of the things that kind of intrigued me this summer, uh, this past summer. A buddy of mine was running from Long Island to Seattle. First person to ever run at that distance, you know, starting up on the East Coast. And I said, man, I would really love to be a part of this. But I wanted to surprise my buddy. And then all of a sudden, I noticed I did an Ironman in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I had to go to Denver for work. And I was following this guy. You could track him daily on Facebook. I saw as soon as my conference sent, he was going to be in Missoula, Montana. So I texted him. Didn't know if he'd respond. He said, hey, yeah, I'm going to be in Missoula. I said, I'm going to be there in the morning. 
can you drop me a pin? I want to go run a day with you. He dropped a pin on the Indian reservation, ran the car, showed up, met him, ran 30 miles through Missoula, Montana. And again, I just wanted to experience what he was experiencing. Like, dude, how have you done this every single day for 62 days straight? No, and I had my 7X coming up, but I just wanted to be a part of it. And that day, he hit the 2,500-mile milestone. And as part of it, I learned something from him that helped me do this distance running where my knees weren't swelling up every single day. And so you just realize, look, the more you put yourself out there, the more you just say yes to something that scares the hell out of you, the more you're going to grow. Shay, that's very well said uh, and inspiring for sure. Changing gears slightly, um, you talked about the family and the support they've given you during your training. Um, what other support do you have out there that you've been utilizing? Um, you, you mentioned a bunch of research you've done. Anything in coaching or nutritionist or talk to us about the team that, that's behind the effort that you're making. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, so after I did Kona 2012, then we only had four kids under six, right? We knew number five was coming. And I, and I said, hey, look, I'm done with the full Ironman, so I just want to do half. I really like that distance. And so we went to Worlds that year, was in Montreblanc, Canada. And after the event, they announced next year Worlds would be in Zelensee, Austria. And my wife looked at me, she goes, we're going. And I said, we are. She goes, yes, you better freaking make it happen. I put up with your training. This is the least you can do. Whatever it takes, you do it. You hear me? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, she's never been all in like this. But I mean, that destination just intrigued her so much. So as soon as I got home, I reached out to a guy, uh, Joe Frill, who wrote The Power of, or Training with Power, right? Uh, he wrote this book called The Triathlon Bible. Everybody's related to it. So I reached out to him, email. He called me back and I said, hey, look, I want to see I could pay you to coach me. I don't think I can afford you, but, you know, will you sell me a plan? He said, look, I'm not training individuals, but here's one of my business partner. He's a former world champion. His name's Adam Zuko. Use him. And so I hired Adam and have qualified for the world championships every year for the last nine years straight. That's powerful. Um Okay, well, shifting gears one more time. Shay, tell us about you, your background. I know you've got a, a, a story that you share with many people. Let's, um, let's dig into that. At the age of eight, it's 1982. My mom had asked me to warn my neighbors about an aggressive yellow jacket's nest the previous day that had swarmed my bicycle. And so I grabbed my buddy who was seven. We walked across the street. We knocked on the door. The dad wasn't home, but the 15-year-old daughter was. As I proceeded to tell her about the yellow jacket's nest, she asked us to go show her where the nest was. And I preface this by saying I had the most conservative parents you've ever seen, right? They didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't cuss. If there was any chance of something bad happening, I couldn't be around. I couldn't go to firework shows, couldn't go to spend night parties, couldn't stay with the babysitter. I mean, they went to all lengths to shield me from anything dangerous. And so as we're showing the girl where the yellow jacket's nest in, is in the ground, she grabs a match, strikes it, throws it down. 
nothing happens. And so we're standing there about, I don't know, 15 feet away, watching these yellow jackets fly in and out of this hole in the ground. Without saying a word, she stands behind us and pitches a cup of gasoline. It splashes me on the right side of my face. My shoulder hits my buddy on his left side. Hits that spark to match. We're engulfed in flames. And for whatever reason, like I was terrified the bees were coming to get me too. So I ran back into my yard, stopped, dropped and rolled, put my fire out. I looked up. I see my buddy Jeff standing there screaming. Flames two feet above his head. I run back across the street, grabbed a water hose and put Jeff out. And I remember just standing there, alternating the hose over the top of both of our heads, just thinking, what the hell just happened? Our hair was singed. I touched my head. All my hair came out. Our skin is blackened and charred. It's literally melting, hanging off of us. Our clothes are melted to our body. And we were basically rushed um, to Gray Memorial Hospital in Atlanta. And we soon learned we didn't have insurance. The girl who set us on fire, the homeowners denied liability for it. And so we'd have to sue them. Fortunately for us, the Shriners Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio heard about us. And so they relocated my mother and I from Atlanta to Cincinnati. And that's where I would spend the next three months, 500 miles away from friends and family. I didn't see anybody for those three months. My dad would drive up on the weekends, but other than that, I didn't see anybody. Um, the burns were so severe, my right ear had to be amputated. My right arm was physically melted to my body. It took three years for me to lift my arm over my head. I had to learn how to write left-handed to finish the third grade. They took all the skin off my legs to use for donor sites to transplant to the other parts of my body. So they took all the skin from my right leg, from my hip to my ankle, all the way around. They took all the skin from my left leg, from my hip to my knee. They came back to my right leg, took it from my hip to my knee again. They took a section 8 by 11 off my back, a section 3 by 6 out of my stomach, and even a section 3 by 4 off my buttocks. As you can imagine, when I found out they took skin from my butt, I said, please don't tell me where you put that. I'm going to be a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I tell everybody now, every time my butt itches, I scratch my face, so I question where they put that skin. Uh, and then most recently, I had surgery. I've had four in the last 15 months. They took a section about probably three by seven out of my back. They took the skin with the blood vessels. And so what they did is they transplanted the skin from my back into my neck and sewed the blood vessels into the blood vessels in my neck. So this skin now can grow and stretch like normal skin. Uh, so it's been quite a procedure and a process over the last 41 years. I've had 43 surgeries to date. And I've got two more procedures coming up this year because of some complications I had two months ago. Let's go a little bit further. You come home after three months in Shriners Hospital. You're finally back in Atlanta. What were your friends like? What was school like? Talk to us about, you know, that, that's a, a difficulty. My kids are at that age. And um, yeah, talk to us about what that was like coming home. You know, it's interesting. It's one of those, nothing can prepare you for what you're going to run into. 
I had been in a sterile environment where everybody looked like me. In other words, I was in a burn war, right? It, I was used to seeing kids, no fingers, no legs, their faces were melted. And when I went back to school, I had to wear plastic orthotic braces. So I had a plastic brace that went from the middle of my chest to the middle of my back, my arm strapped into it. I had a plastic neck brace and then I had a plastic face mask, like a hockey mask. Holes cut out for your eyes, two holes for your nose, and it slit for your mouth. And I wore all three of these braces 22 hours a day for three years. And I remember, like, the hospital recommended we stay out of school for that year to homeschool. They said, because let's be honest, eight, nine year old kids can be pretty cruel. But my parents said, look, you got to get back in there. So two weeks after getting out of the hospital, they took me back to school. My mom would pick me up every day at lunch, take me home, give me a whirlpool bath, change all my dressings, and take me back to school every day. And Greg, I still remember this day, walking down the hallway, you hear all the kids hustling, you know, books shuffling. But as soon as they see me, silence, complete silence. You could hear some whispers going on. And I don't know if you remember, but about the same time, Wes Craven's movie nightmare on elm street came out remember freddy krueger and of course i heard a few kids hey freddy freddy krueger i tell her like i cried myself to sleep for months because when i looked in the mirror i didn't see the eight-year-old kid that used to be a good athlete i saw this disfigured burn kid who looked like freddy krueger you know so much so that i didn't even want to look at the right side of my face in the mirror and I remember lying in bed every night, just crying and begging and praying, God, please take this away from me. What did I do to deserve this? And then eventually I came to that realization, look, these scars aren't going anywhere. I just need to embrace it. And so one of the things that became a coping mechanism for me was laughter, right? Self-deprecation. And, and so I'll never forget, like when I went back to school, those same kids that when they would say, hey, Freddie. And I'd look around and stare at him. I said, yes, I'll see you in your dreams tonight. So I don't know if you remember Freddy Krueger, but he'd visit yeah. these kids and kill them when they're sleeping at night. And so that's what it is. Like when people come up and say, hey, where's your ear? And I was like, what are you talking about? People can't tell now I've got a prosthetic ear, but I didn't have an ear from eight up until I was 35. All those years never had an ear. So people would come up when they'd ask it. I was like, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I'd pretend like I had one. I'd reach up and like, Oh, shit. Where is it? Can you help me? I had kids looking in a pool for 30 minutes. They were convinced my ear was on the drain. because so I told them I hit my head on the diving board trying to do a game. And so that's one of the things you learn early in life. Look, life's cruel. It's tough. But you got to love yourself and know who you are, right? You can't rely on the world to tell you what your value is. And one of the things I realized quickly, too, was once I embraced my scars, I projected that strength. And the same is true with our insecurities, right? Whatever it is we harbor about ourselves, we project that weakness to everybody else. But as soon as we let everybody else know, you know what? I'm fine that I have one ear and scars on 65% of my body. What's your problem, right? Like, hey, I'm just blessed and thankful to wake up every single day. And I tell everybody, when you spend three months in a hospital and you're happy just to be able to walk to the end of the hall unassisted 
life never looks the same. Like you truly are grateful every single morning you wake up. Like when people complain to me, oh, my legs hurt, my arms hurt. I was like, imagine what the people without arms and legs would do to have those kind of pains, mm. right? And that's what I remind myself. Look, the pains I feel every single day for the last 41 years, that's acknowledgement. I'm living life to the fullest. I'm not sitting at home waiting for stuff to happen. I'm not making excuses why I'm not being successful. I'm going out there living my life. I love it. I love the embrace your scars. It's so empowering, Shay. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so with that background and foundation, what are you doing these days? Like, unless you're a professional triathlete that is getting paid <laughs> to compete in Kona. Well, I wish. No, so I do a host of things. My full-time job is I'm in healthcare. I'm a sales leader. Um, so I've been focused on what's called revenue cycles. So we basically do the billing for health systems across the country. I also do motivational speaking and coaching. So if anybody's looking for a speaker to share the story, you know, I wrote a book uh, back in 2017 about my journey. It's called What the Fire Ignited. And then, you know, as a side, I help people that said, look, hey, I'm struggling, right? And so I believe social media is a great avenue to kind of give people that daily reassurance. Look, you are good enough. You are strong enough. You can do so much more than you ever thought possible. And that's one of the things I try to get people to understand is they're like, you know, I just don't think I could have ever done it. If I was in your shoes, I said, look, we all think that. It's not till you're in those shoes that you realize just how strong you are. And that's the problem is so many of us go to great lengths to avoid adversity, to avoid pain that we're shortchanging ourselves, right? Like if you voluntarily introduce hardships, if you engage in endurance events, you learn that things that we cherish the most in life are the things that we work the hardest for. Like how many of us sit around having that glass of wine with our buddies? Oh, remember how easy that was when things just rolled in? No, we're all telling the stories about in college. I didn't know how I would pay rent, you know, and, trying to come up with enough money to take your girlfriend out for a date. Those are the stories we cherish. Mm. If we all acknowledge that, then why do we go to great lengths to avoid the discomforts, right? Mm. Like we're going to great lengths to make everything easy. So that's one of the things I committed to my kids. Look, my job is not to make your life easy. My job is to teach you how to survive and provide for yourself. How do they respond to that? Or how have they, they responded know to that? Yeah, they know it's true. I mean, we live it every day. I mean, we have a ritual every Friday. I stop a quarter mile from home, make them get out of the van and run home. If they've got friends, they have to get out of the van too. Uh, you know, we do the feats of strength, just like my boys wanted to earn some extra money a couple months ago. I said, all right, in the morning, all three of you guys, you will do a 10-mile hike. And I said, here's how you get to the end destination. You call me when you get there, right? And so that's what they did. My wife's like, I can't believe you did that. Right. They're only 10 and 12 and 14. I was like, babe, they're fine. They'll figure it out. And I think that's what you realize. Like kids really want to be tested. We just got to reinforce that. Right. Like the we, I believe in you. I know you can do this. And I think it will blow our mind what they can do if we just let them explore and learn on their own. You know, Shay, I, I'm in the middle of a negotiation with my two kids because swim team oh. starts next week. And over the winter, I was 
giving them things. They were earning things by dropping time. And it's amazing how quickly they could get to the finish line of the pool when there's a reward at the end. And it's not just like the mental push, but it's the, the, the belief. In fact, one of the races, my youngest, um, could have qualified for junior Olympics, but she needed to drop a ton of time and she almost did it. Right. I mean, it's like, where has this been? And it's to your point, that little extra motivation, that little extra, um, what you call feats of strength. I can almost see it on a board in my house and say, all right, what do you want this weekend? Let's get those wall, those wall squats going. And Greg, and so one of the things I try to teach them too, is the finish line is always moving. Right. So they know if I say we're doing a five minute wall squat, they know now it's really seven minutes. And so that's what you want to teach people is because so many people, when they see the finish line and you move it, they quit. I can't go any further. And so that's what I teach them. I was like, look, don't ever think because somebody told you this is where the finish line is, that it's over. You got to be willing to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to get to that finish. And so one of the things, you know, I mentioned to you about the plank. So during COVID, my wife was teaching all five of the kids because I was still working. She said, hey, look, I'm taking tomorrow, Friday off. I said, don't tell the kids. Let's make them earn it. But we are, I already knew there was no substitute teacher that day. And so I said, all right, here's the deal. If anybody can do a 10-minute plank, everybody gets tomorrow. I just wanted them to attempt it. So I'm like, Dad, that's crazy. I'm not even going to do it. Well, at the time, my eight-year-old said, Dad, I want to do it. This little turd started out on his elbows in the plank. He gets halfway into it. He's like, Dad, can I go to a full straight-arm plank? I said, I'll let you do it, but if you raise your butt, you got to start over. You got to keep your whole back straight. So he's going. And like, we get to nine minutes, like, this little turd's going to make it. So I was like, I got to teach him a lesson, right? And so we get at nine and a half minutes. He goes, how much longer? I said, 45 seconds. Another 15 seconds. How much longer? I said, like, you only got 40 seconds, buddy. And then finally, we get 10 and a half minutes into it. He's like, how much longer? I said, you got 10 more seconds. And he's literally crying. And he goes, I, I can't. And he fell down. And he's crying. I said, buddy. He just went 10 minutes and 40 seconds. All of a sudden, he quits crying, bounces up. He's running through the house screaming, no school, everybody. I did it. I did it. Of course, my wife's yelling at me now because he woke everybody up. And I said, that kid will never forget it, right? Like, mm-hmm. he didn't know he had the day off anyway, right? And, but those are the kind of things we need to constantly be doing to test ourselves and test our kids to show what we're truly capable of. That's very well said. Shay, uh, to wrap things up, how can people get into in touch with you? What's your social media platform of choice? Uh, the one I prefer of choice is LinkedIn. So it's just my name, you know, Shay, S-H-A-Y-S-Q-E-S-K-E-W. You can also find me on Instagram. It's at Mr. Shay, S and a Q, the phonetic spelling of my last name. Wonderful. And we'll put links in the show notes and, you know, links to your book, your websites. Some of the the content that you've shared today, we'll put that in the show notes as well. And for those in the audience, uh, if you've got some value out of today's conversation, we ask that you share it with somebody else. I think uh, Shay's message and 
motivation and inspiration surely needs to be shared with our larger community. Um, this is, it's inspiring me, Shay. Some of the things that you talked about right off the bat around time management and how valuable each and every minute is, um, that was a huge takeaway for me. Um, I look forward to reading your book and I hope one day I get to meet you in person. Absolutely. And Greg, in closing, for me, a big thing is gratitude, right? Like when you look at each day as a blessing, that you're just thankful to be able to go out and run, swim, bike, run, whatever it is you do, I think you'll find that you'll approach every day a little differently when you look at it. The pain is because you are receiving a gift. Couldn't agree with you more. Thank you again, Shay. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits 